Hello, everybody. What a, uh, what a lovely film. Um, I saw it last night. Many of you probably have just come from the screening. Uh, went down beautifully, uh, warm-hearted, inspiring, thoughtful, very culturally sort of insightful into a different part of the world. Uh, now, I know uh, that you both worked on Bomb Harvest documentary about six or seven years ago, would it be that long? It, uh, it was all about an Australian bomb disposal expert, the real knockabout character called Leith Stevens, Leith Stevens yeah. and how he was helping dispose these of these sleeping tigers uh, around the countryside. Uh, you obviously have a history of in the country that goes back before that. Can you tell us how you, how you started to see this world? Um. Well, Sylvia uh, Wilczynski and myself, we were living in Hanoi in uh, Vietnam and working, living and working there. And uh, Hanoi is a great place, but it's quite intense. And uh, we travelled a lot to Laos at that time and uh, really loved the country and fell in love with the people and the humour and the spirit of the place. And uh, one night in a bar in Laos, we met some bomb disposal specialists and uh, we drank and we drank and we had more stories and found out about them and uh, and really it was a life-changing experience that moment because not only were we thinking god there's this whole other part of the vietnam war the secret war in laos that we had no idea about and we're educated people uh, but also these terrific characters um, who could help entice an audience into to finding out more about this country and, and then we started to try and make a, a, a documentary. Do you want to talk a bit about that, Sylvia? Yeah. So uh, we spent um, quite a few months on the ground with bomb disposal teams in Laos. And um, that was an incredible experience. We saw thousands upon thousands of bombs all over the country, um, which remain, you know, however many years, 40 years after the war. And another part of that story was the children who collect the bombs to sell as scrap metal and uh, spending a lot of time on the ground with the kids there and also doing some reenactments of them searching for bomb scrap because we obviously couldn't film them really searching for bomb scrap was, was a real eye-opener um, for us. And that was the part of the story in Bomb Harvest that I think most audiences really responded to was the kids in that story. And we had a lot of people from the Lao community, both in Australia and internationally, say, make another film with us. Make another film in Laos, but with children as the protagonists and in Lao language and without having to have an Australian protagonist. And because Laos doesn't have its own film industry yet, it will happen soon, but we, you know, we took that request very seriously and started collaborating with Pauline Puminda, who's our associate producer here. Uh, Pauline's Laos Australian. She moves between uh, Laos and Australia, works in both places. And we started the long journey of developing this story together. And um, Pauline's also our, our Lao language teacher as well, which yeah. she's helped us <laughs> to learn a bit about the language and the place. Yeah. Before we start to talk about the story of the rocket, can you tell us a bit about your filmmaking background before making that doco? Yeah, well, I guess we'd mostly made documentaries before, um, even though Kim started as an actor. So drama has always, you know, been a natural thing that Kim's been drawn to. 
and his combination of being an actor and then making a lot of documentaries, um, both internationally and in Australia, I think just really led to us making feature films. We'd made some short dramas before, um, but I think Kim's rapport with actors, because he is an actor by training, and our documentary experience of really researching everything very thoroughly and seeing that truth is more amazing than anything you could ever dream up is, you know, is what led us to make The Rocket. Great. So you got the idea we'd tell a story from the allow community's point of view. You wanted to tell it through the eyes of a child. How does the story unfold from there? How do you sort of piece together a story which has worked so beautifully? Um, well, I guess, um, you know, whilst making Bomb Harvest, one of the parts of the documentary is you go to a rocket festival at the end of Bomb Harvest. And uh, I told this little story the other night, but uh, the, the bomb disposal specialist, Leif Stevens, when we said we're going to go to a, a rocket festival, he said, look, mate, I'd, I'd prefer to take a part of bomb than have to go to this rocket festival. It's too haphazard and crazy. And uh, we went to the rocket festival together, and Sylvia and I went to a few all around the country. And it just became apparent to us that it, it's such an incredible event. Um, it's, they're asking for rain. They shoot these things that can weigh up to a tonne at the sky. And, uh, and obviously, an incredibly powerful metaphor for both the history of the country. And it, it got us thinking that if we could find a personal story where that metaphor started to resonate, uh, there could be something very powerful in that, in, in terms of the country, the, 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 the person, the history, the mythology. Somehow something very rich could come into that. Um, and the other thing that we witnessed while making uh, Bomb Harvest was that this country um, had incredible resources. It's, you know, there's, there's hydroelectricity, there's gold, there's copper, and a lot of people were being relocated. There were deserted villages everywhere and uh, a lot of industry and a lot of Australian involvement in that industry. And we thought, well, there's something interesting in this as well about a... a, a of people who are displaced. So in a way we were kind of, we were trying to find personal stories and bigger stories and match theme and the personal and a larger context. And once we found all those elements, we started to weave. I love that Rocket Festival. It's hilarious, colourful, dangerous. And in fact, I'm going to recommend we have one in Sydney as part of Vivid next year. I think it'll be, be uh, much more fun. Uh, the Australian involvement, it's interesting because I wonder if you meant to be critical of uh, Australia's involvement in the country because we see a figure, very, you know, a company representative who's a bit of a faceless man. Yeah. Are you critical of what Australia's Australia's involvement in the country? Uh, well, look, you know, like anywhere in the world, there is ethical business and there is good business in terms of the, the big corporations coming in, but there are also the cowboys and there are all, there is also a lot of greed, and in terms of of larger industry relocating traditional people. I mean, the, the compensation from the research we did, and we did years of research, it, it has to be long-term. And what happens nine times out of 10 is that the compensation to people isn't long-term. Um, there are people doing the right things, but there also are stories of, of people being given $10 and told, that's it. We're taking your home, here's 10 bucks. That's it. That's the deal. Piss off, you know. And and uh, so, 
It's, look, we are we are being a little bit critical, but at the same time, we don't want to say that there you know there shouldn't be any business because there always will be business relationships. It's just about um, how they're dealt with and in terms of long-term compensation to people if if they're if their home, their traditions, their culture are being taken away from them, then it needs to be a really long-term process of, of looking after that and giving back and also uh, a transformation into a new place. You know, a new place can have new diets, n new types of employment, new traditions. You then begin mixing a lot of people together. And if those places aren't looked after, you get a ghetto, which happens in any third world environment. Uh, when there isn't enough funds and uh, in the place. So, um, I mean, you know, like any first world country, it, it's very easy to have a kind of opportunistic relationship with the third world. And so I guess the film does just quietly say this relationship has to be deeper than opportunism. Um, yeah, and we yeah. need to develop relationships with our neighbours that go beyond just making money. It needs to yeah. be not just economic relationships, but being responsible. Yeah. And I think that's a, it's a universal story. It's not just a story no. about an Australian business in Laos. It's, it's every it's first world country countries third world. all over the world. Yeah. Um, and it's, this is a theme that we just see happening over and over and over again. And it's happened in our own country with our indigenous population. So yeah. um, it's just about being responsible. And Sylvia, you're a producer and you're suddenly launching into a film in a country without a film industry. How do you pull it all together? It wasn't easy. <laughs> it, it had a lot of challenges, this film. Um, we had a crew from Australia, from Laos, from Thailand, which is next door and has a terrific film industry and um, lots of very good crew, who our other associate producer, Air, who's here as well from Air, Thailand, helped pull together. Yeah. And um, Air started her um, career in the film industry on The Deer Hunter. That shows you how long Air my has favorite, been. My favourite uh, Legacy of War film, yeah. number one. She yeah. started um, as a costume assistant on The Deer Hunter and has worked on dozens of amazing films shot in Thailand over the years. And we were, we're just honoured to have had Air with us, so thank you. Um, so Air helped us pull together an incredible crew, as did Pauline with her contacts in Laos. Um, we had a good relationship with the Lao government from having made Bomb Harvest. They loved Bomb Harvest. Um, it continues to screen every day in the capital city um, in visitor centres. It's been screening for five years now. It's raised a lot of money for bomb clearance there. Um, and Pauline has a very good relationship with the government, so it just it, there was a lot of process because it is a communist government. There was a lot of process to go through. We had 20 government representatives on set every day. Um, they, and they you know, change your script? Did they affect what you did? They yeah, they had to see a script of what we shot, um, you know. But we also shot some material in Thailand as well just, you know, for ease of access and because we had a lot of crew in Thailand as well. Certain things we couldn't possibly film in Laos, like in jungles and so on, because there's bombs still throughout the jungle. Insurance wouldn't let us film there. So, yeah, there was, there was, it was a very complex shoot and, you know, a tight budget. So there was a lot of love that went into this film. But, yeah, it's one crazy. Of, <laughs> one of the triumphs is the casting. Note perfect. 
really, from Arlo to everybody else, uh, to Arlo's mum, to Arlo's friend. Uh, perhaps you might tell us about how you cast them and maybe introduce them as well. Okay, so we've got the cast here, because we... Uh, who plays Taitok, Budsri Indi. Could you stand up? Bunsi, who uh, plays Taitok. Grandma Taitok. Grandma Taitok. <laughs> who I know is incredibly tough in the film, but she's the most gorgeous, beautiful human being <laughs> who never stopped teasing me for ten weeks and, uh, and who always created a lovely environment on set. Uh, but she's actually just... Look, she's a very fine actress, which is why she, there's, you know, she can be hard, she can be tough, but she can also be lovable and funny and witty, but there's a lot of skill in her work. Um, and then we've got Alice here, Alice Kiahovong, who is uh, Sydney-based, Australian girl. And, um, and we were casting in the Bonnie Rig Temple, and when Alice came and did a, a screen test, and obviously, you know, I was, I was trying to find someone who could rival grandma <laughs> in a moment of terrible grief, who could pull themselves out of grief and, and somehow rival grandma and Alice was that person. She showed incredible strength, vulnerability and, uh, and uh, it's there on screen. So really beautiful work. And then next to uh, is, uh, is Luknam. <laughs> and Luknam, um, look, we, we cast for a very long time and Sylvia and I looked for about a year when we were making a, a promo for the film and we travelled through Laos and through Thailand and through Isan in Thailand uh, where you have a, a dialect, the Lao dialect that the Isan people speak and um, eventually in just on the outskirts of the capital in Vientiane with the help uh, of Non Jungamaya who is a Thai casting agent and we'd heard about a little drama group. And look, we were already looking in temples, on the streets, uh, everywhere. Uh, we came across Luknam. And what astounded me about Luknam was that um, she had a very strong sense of self. Luknam is Luknam, you know, and you ain't going to change that. She is who she is. And she also, um, when I started talking through some of the major dramatic beats in the story, even just as I was telling her, I could see it all throwing through her eyes. She had these incredible eyes that, um, that just shared all this emotion. And she also was very good at, at drawing on her own imagination and her own self and her own experiences and was willing to share that. So, so it's funny, we then kept casting for a while and I said to the casting agent, we've got to stop, I, I'm, we're wasting time here. Look, Nam is, uh, is Kia. And, uh, and so then we stopped and, and Luknam was cast, but um, wonderful, wonderful spirit. And then over here, we've got Gia uh, Sitipon Disamur, uh, who plays Arlo. And uh, look again, we'd been looking, we, we had seen so many people by that stage. And when I met uh, Gia, uh, I was just so taken back by Gia as a person. You know, he's a survivor, he's an incredibly intelligent human being, uh, an amazing imagination, and obviously to make a film like this was going to be a huge challenge. It was going to be a physical challenge, a psychological challenge, an emotional challenge, uh, and, and, and I knew that Key was going to go on this journey and give it all, 
and uh, and and he was amazing, you know. So thank you, Guy, for sharing so much with us. Yeah. Tip, I couldn't find you. Here we go. <laughs> and there we have Tep Bonam, and he is a Tep who plays purple. And Tep is a very big star in Thailand. He's a legend, an absolute legend. And how many films has Tep done? I think 38 films. 38, 38 films. Feature films could be 40 feature films. And uh, he's most of his work is in in stand-up uh, comedic work, and uh, he's a very good physical actor. He's got a great turn of phrase. So when I met Tep and started studying his work, I just thought, look, this this guy is look. As a filmmaker, also you want to be able to embody the, the wide shot. You know, you want to be able to fill the screen. And he is an amazing physical actor as well, with a lot of physical charisma. And, and I knew when I, I was watching his work that Tep would, would, uh, would hold the screen in a wide shot and also would become a very important mentor to the two children uh, because Tep is, is, this, is a very, very sweet human being, which is why with Grandma and Tep, I could play them quite rough because ultimately they are, they're very, very good human beings and that would always be there uh, as, as, a, as a subtext to the, the characters. But um, Tep has brought so much to this film, so thank you very, very much, Tep. Where did, where did the James Brown character come from? Where did that, is that something drawn from real life? Yep. It, look, the, the James Brown character... Do, do you want to talk about that, Sylvia? Or sure, yeah. sure. <laughs> um, Purple was based on someone we met while we were making Bomb Harvest. Um, we'd gone to a very remote tribal village, six hours drive from the nearest small town, um, where there'd been a lot of bomb accidents, and we'd gone to meet people in the village, meet the village head. We were doing a lot of very emotional interviews there. And there was this guy in a purple suit in this tiny tribal village who just kept trying to get into our shots. He was, he was a complete groover as well. <laughs> he was a he total was, groover. And, uh, and you know, drunk on rice wine at 9am, trying to sidle into all the shots. And at the time, it, it was making filming very difficult, but we never forgot this man, and, um, and he, was, he inspired us. He was so full of contradictions. You know, he, was, he seemed deeply loud, but at the same time, this kind of icon of, of Western uh, popular culture. Mm. And because of the, the, the history of Laos and the Hmong who fought on the American side, uh, we thought this could become a really interesting contradiction inside the story and the character. And, um, and so we started to, to really build the character from then. But, but basically everyone in the film is based on real people that we met on the road. What sort of cultural challenges did you face as Australians coming in and telling their story? Look, it's very, very difficult doing that. And I think if we hadn't made bomb halves and hadn't had such a, a long involvement with the country, um, it probably couldn't happen at all. But it, look, it's always very difficult. And, and Pauline, um, who was also a translator on Bomb Harvest and also in The Rocket and, and, and is the associate producer on The Rocket as well, but... Um, in a way, it, it's a funny thing. People say, well, Kim, how can you direct if, you can't, if you're not fluent in the language? Well, 
I mean, in a way, the words are the last thing. I think with cinema uh, and with people, I look at their eyes, I look at their, their body language, and, and, and I'm trying to work out whether I believe them from, from, from reading them and physically what they're doing. And then the words are the last thing. So in a funny sort of way, it kind of has forced me to work in a certain way. And uh, it's been a really good little lesson along the way, which is to, to read people through their eyes and through their body language and to think about what do people do physically in order to express what they're feeling. Um, so look, there, there have been some big challenges. Um, but at the same time, Sylvia and I have spent a long time trying to fill the country and trying to, to connect. Um, and I, you know, I, I hope that we have. It's such a beautiful part of the world as well. You have these amazing landscapes to work with. Uh, I guess as an Australian, I had no concept that this would be such a beautiful place. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, Laos is a stunning country and I recommend all of you to go there. It's, you know, it's not all crazy rocket festivals and bombs. There's stunning landscape, the most welcoming people in Southeast Asia and yeah, a very rich history. And yeah, it's a very special part of the world. Beautiful place, and and for I mean, just a little. I grew up on a banana and avocado farm in northeastern New South Wales, and I think that was partly why I fell in love with Laos in the rural areas. Was I just? It was such a beautiful place. It was all the best things of of the northeast coast, and uh, and in terms of the mythology of of the animism and the Buddhism, um, it's created a, a really interesting. Pe people want to move forward. You know, they, they want to, to, to be positive about life, and that's very inspiring. Often when we see a Hollywood film in a, in a, a very different culture, we might see that they would come up with cliches or American representations of things. It seems that you were very sensitive about things like the rituals, the superstition. Uh, you must have gone to some lengths to try and be careful about how people's feelings, I guess. Well, I mean, part of our research was, I mean, say with the, the, the Akka, tribe, which is the village that the boy grows up in. Sylvia and I went to probably a dozen Aka tribes and we, we had an Aka consultant and we did a lot of research and one thing that became really clear from the communication we had was not to uh, be too romantic about it, the fact that traditions are changing, some people agree on them, some people don't, some people don't want to know anything about them. Uh, and we try to put that in the film, that you've got a family and they're very divided in how they feel about their traditions and they're very divided in how they feel about the dam. You know, the mum's thinking this could be a good thing and that is the reality, is that it, 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 it's not all bad. You know, in a lot of places that are poor, people see that development could bring, uh, a, you know, a better place to sleep, electricity, it could bring medical supplies, um, so that the families are divided. Um, so, look, it was very difficult to try and work out how to do that, and we can't make everyone happy. That's part of filmmaking. If you make everyone happy, then you end up with something that's kind of sanitised and lacks drama. So, um, there are a number of perspectives in there. Okay. We'll start almost with uh, questions from the audience uh, in a minute, but I'll just ask one or two more questions. The, the metaphors that you work with, the, the years of bombs raining down and then the firing the rockets back is, is kind of a statement about somehow independence or yeah. culture. Yeah. Uh, there's also the notion of uh, people being turfed off their lands by dams that are creating power and get, ending up without either power or water. Yeah. So 
in a sense, it's uh, it's quite a powerful exactly message. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, 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 you pretty much summed it up there, Gary. But they're they're the two main themes of the film. And uh, somebody want to talk a bit about that? Um, and I guess you know, with, with, with a story. I mean, for Silver and I, we, we we don't want to tell stories that are just. Uh, purely personal. We want to tell stories that are personal but uh, have a much larger context and, and thematically kind of are, are international. And, um, um, and those two themes about legacy of war and people being turfed off their, their land for industry are actually linked because it's, it's, a, it's a classic part of, of history that post-war situations in countries, a war makes a country very poor. That happens every time. And when a country is poor, it's the time that international industry move in because they can get a hold of things very easily when a country is poor. So the two themes are actually linked. Who do you make this film for? Do you want it to be seen by Australians to be moved and connected with the country or do you want other people in the world or do you want the people of Laos? All of the above, if possible. <laughs> you know. And more. And more. Yeah. I mean, we, did re we really wanted to make a universal story and I think that's why audiences have been responding to it um, at international festivals where it's screened. It's, it's a classic underdog story. We can all relate to Arlo. All of us have been told that we can't do something or be someone because of where we've come from. So I think that's a universal story. And, um, you know, the, the political themes of the film are, are universal as well. So we made it, we made it for a wide international audience. Okay, if you've got a question, just put your hand up and we'll get a microphone to you. Maybe we'll start over there if that's okay. Hi, firstly, congratulations on making a really, really beautiful and amazing film. Um, I just want to ask, because in Australia, the distributors here don't normally pick up, well, very rarely pick up films with an Asian language. And um, for those of you who don't know, you can't access any government subsidies if you don't have an Australian distributor on your film. So Sylvia, can you talk about whether it was difficult for you to secure your marketplace, your Australian distributor for this film? Yeah, look, financing this film was very challenging. Um, but, you know, screen, there were people in at Screen Australia who firstly wanted to support Kim's and my work, but also they loved the script and, you know, they, they could see our argument that it's important that we not just have an economic relationship with Asia, that we actually have a creative and cultural relationship with Asia. And to me, that represents Australia in the best light. Like, when we were in Berlin and we had our whole team on stage, and, and last night, people from Laos, Thailand, Australia, that's such a great statement to me about what Australia can do and what Laos can do and what Thailand can do. And, you know, I, I won't say it was easy and we had to jump through a lot of hoops and there was some resistance along the way, but, you know, we had a lot of people within the government funding bodies who were very supportive of the film. And, yeah, it, it was hard. But And, sorry, your question about the distributor, our distributor, Curious, um, they were very supportive of the film quite, you know, at a very early stage and Curious take on some very brave films from all over the world, um, a lot of really um, innovative and beautiful foreign language cinema and then also English language cinema as well and, you know, they embrace the film wholeheartedly. 
So it'll be in cinemas later this year with our Australian distributor. Did, did anybody tell you you had to make it in English or include a star? Over and over <laughs> and over. Yeah. yeah. No, that happened a lot of the times. And, yeah. you know, and even in terms of casting, um, there was quite a lot of pressure at times to, to have stars in there. And, you know, and I can understand why, but the, the, the bottom line is, is that we just tried to find the right people who had the right spirit and the courage to go on this journey. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that's a hard one to, to, to stick to, but um, I think it was the right thing to do in the end. Yeah. I mean, there was a suggestion that, um, from somewhere that Purple should be an American, which just, it would not work in the film. Someone who was American and can speak English has choices that the character of Purple would not have. And, you know, we, we don't think a film has to have a white character in it to be a powerful, universal, moving story. So. Uh, thanks for a wonderful film, really enjoyed it. Um, you touched on uh, the Australian presence in Laos. Uh, having spent three or four weeks there about a year or so ago, uh, I found the Chinese uh, presence was much more prominent. Could you care to comment on the current um, involvement and relationship between China and, like the dams, for instance, you, uh, that was your main thing. When we were in the north, uh, it seemed like the whole place was going to be flooded by Chinese labour gangs. <laughs> well, there's a lot of international, multinational com companies who were, you know, very keen to get hold of Laos' rich resources. And, yeah, so there's China, Russia, Vietnam, Australia, France, Japan. I mean, there's, there's companies from all over the world who were, you know, a lot of them working in a really good, positive way. And then some, like Kim said, that are cowboys. And I think because Laos came out of war not that long ago, there's it's easier for cowboy companies to take advantage of an infrastructure that has, you know, that has suffered under war. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of it. There's a lot of, a lot of industry coming in. And, and as we were saying, but you know, when a country is made poor by war, um, it is looking for help. It needs help, you know, and I think in terms of, uh, you know, in the north, there's a, there's a sort of a little deal going on where, where the, the Chinese are very good at building roads come and put roads in, in exchange for rubber plantations and some of the land in the north, and obviously positions inside business and government, I imagine. But, but um, I, I don't know enough about that to answer that in detail, to tell you the truth, but I did witness that as well, and it's happening, as, as you said, Sylvia, with... You mentioned the, the international uh, screenings for the film. Are you showing it at the iTech in Vientiane at all, or are you showing it in Bangkok, anywhere else in the region? We actually have our Thai distributor, Ton Rukachat, Ton, here. Can you stand up? Yeah. <laughs> um, Ton was one of the executive producers on the film um, and, you know, a big part of getting this film made. So thank you, Ton. Thank you, Ton. Um, and it will be released in Thailand starting, I think, 31st of October, Halloween. So, it's, yeah, it will be released in Bangkok and around um, Thailand. We also hope that it will be released in Laos. So, but obviously there's a lot of 
you know, stages that it has to go through um, with the government to, you know, to confirm that that will happen. But we're, we're pretty certain that it will also be released in Laos. We want it to be released in Laos. And we, we got an email from the, the Luang Prabang Film Festival, which is in the north. And uh, so we're, we're hoping it yeah. can play at the Luang Prabang Film Festival, which is a, the most beautiful part of the world. If you can look it up and try and be there for the film festival, which is in winter, which is lovely, yeah. it'd be a, a, a great little holiday. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing a very good job of selling it. We have some travel agents set up at the back there. That's right. Uh, and, and this is, I just want to introduce Fiona here, who is Ton's daughter. Uh, you stand up. This is Fi <laughs> Okay, we have a question just down the front here. I was actually in Laos just last month and um, I really liked it there. And I was just wondering whether the twin belief system was a real belief. Um, yes, it's based off a real belief, but, you know, like a lot of these traditional beliefs, um, it's dying out and has been dying out. And, and like in the film, uh, when that happens is 10 years ago, um, when Arlo was born. And 10 years ago, the belief was still apparent then, and it still did occur. But even then, it was very divided. From the research we did, people told us that even from 10 years ago, there were a lot of mothers who didn't want to, this to happen to their twins, and so it's gradually been dying out, uh, and I don't think it happens much anymore. But having said that, in the really remote places, you know, who knows what goes on? Because these traditions are, are, are ancient traditions. Um, but um, it is... There is still the belief that twins do bring bad luck. Yeah, but so it is, it's just in one of the more than 50 tribes in Laos. It's the Akka tribe. It's just one the Akka tribe. Yeah. Um, and, and even, you know, there are definitely still traditional people who believe that a twin uh, can be bad luck. Mm. And a lot of the belief came from uh, quite a, a sort of simple yeah. scientific reason. In a lot of remote villages, there are more complications when a mother gives birth to twins. So more children and more mothers would die in childbirth when they gave birth to twins. So that's, that's probably where the belief started. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's not a widespread belief. Yes, exactly. Ah, so, yes. Pauline, do you want to add to this? Yeah, I'd just like to add to that. Apart from the belief from one, uh, or maybe more than uh, more than two tribes, um, apart from the uh, scientific medical, because if you uh, give birth to twins, it's more complicated. But also for the e economic reason, it's hard enough in the remote area to bring one child. But what if you have to bring up two? So I think that's probably one of the reasons. As a uh, writer and a director, there's a creative tension between the two. I'm just wondering who keeps you honest? Well, that would definitely be Sylvia here. You know, there's always questions being asked and, you know, so that's, I'd say it would be Sylvia. And then you work with script editors. Uh, and then, of course, the process. Look, I think it actually comes from a documentary background as well. We've made a lot of documentaries. And, and when you make a documentary, a story lives from beginning to end. And that taught me a lot about storytelling, was that you, 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 know, you don't walk on set with... Of course, I did do storyboards and, and shot lists. And, and, uh, but basically, from the point you walk on set, from the point you start rehearsing even, it's got to be living and it's got to be changing and it's got to be developing and even if you had a solid plan here and something different starts to happen, to, to recognise it, be in the moment. So in a way, I think the chaos of documentary filmmaking has taught me a lot about being in the moment 
and remaining honest in directing features. But look, you're surrounded by people who are, you know, it, it's a collaboration and, uh, and you're trying to read from this collaboration what is working, what isn't working, and that goes on right till the end. I wonder if I can ask Pauline about the Lao community in Australia. How many people from there are here? When did they arrive in terms of a, a wave of migration? Where do they live? Thank you. The question, question about Lao community here is we, uh, we were part of the Indochina, Indochina war. So we started to leave our country in 1975. Um, at the moment, in the whole Australia, there are something like 13,000 people, um, which might sound a lot to you, but there are f uh, a couple of hundreds of thousands in the US and in France. Um, we didn't know what, what Australia was, we never heard of Australia. Um, so we all went to, um, especially the Hmong, uh, who were fighting for the Americans, so they were taken to the US. Um, and also a lot of Lao people, um, uh, well, we, when there's a question about China now, that's not really um, strange to us. We did have the French, we, have, we did have the Americans, we ha did have the Russians, and now the Chinese, the Vietnamese, and, and all that. So it's something that we learn how to live with. And being a very small country, it's not easy. Uh, how to deal with China and say, don't come to my country. So I'd just like all of you to understand us. But coming back to Lao people, uh, 6,000 living in Sydney, and I must say that we have uh, really strong support from Lao community here. We also have uh, support from the embassies, Lao embassies and the Royal Thai embassies. We screened in uh, New York, we screened in Berlin, and we screened in Sydney. They all went, were there with us. And the Lao community, especially um, uh, the community leaders and the temples in Sydney, uh, Wat Pranyot Gao and Wat Putalawan, also were very supportive. We also had, um, I'd just like to recognize Granville Tev, who also provided uh, their students from the Diploma of Interpreting course to do the voiceover for us. They're not here tonight, but I really would like to say that we did have strong support from the Lao community. And Alice, you've, uh, you were cast from Sydney. Can you tell us a bit about your experience and what your acting background is? You're wonderful in the film. Hi, I'm Alice. Um, and as you can tell, I have an Australian accent and I'm from Sydney. So um, the experience for me was very interesting and, and it was such a privilege because my parents are both Lao, but I consider myself Australian. And my parents don't really talk about the war or they don't talk much about, you know, their experience in Laos. They kind of gloss over it or they talk about the happy times. So doing this film, I didn't even know the Rocket Festival existed. And then after my dad saw the film, he went, oh, yeah, I was involved in the Rocket Festival when I was a kid. <laughs> so for me, it was very eye-opening and I felt like I was reconnecting to a heritage that... I knew I had that, but I hadn't quite discovered it completely, and, I'm, and there's still much, much more to discover, but it was, it was a very rewarding experience, yeah. <laughs> Have you done much acting before? 
Sorry? Have you done much acting before? Um, yeah, so my background's in theatre, um, and at the moment I'm a puppeteer, and I work a lot with children, so I think that's why um, Ki and Luknam and I work really well. Yeah. Great. That's, that's fantastic. Any other questions? We've got one there, and then we'll go up the back afterwards. Uh, I'd just like to ask... How long did it take to shoot and also the budget? What was the budget for the film? We had a seven-week shoot, which was not nearly long enough, um, considering we had a lot of newer actors and children and animals and explosions and mountains and rivers and caves and so on. It should probably have been a nine-week shoot. Um, but everybody did an amazing job on what was a very tight schedule. And the budget was uh, 2.2 million, which is, for anybody who knows anything about film budgets, is extremely low. But there was a lot of love and a lot of support from lots of people and companies who um, put a lot into the film. So I think it looks, we've had people say it looks like a $10 million film, so. I'd like to thank Air and Indochina for all their contributions there as well, yeah. who really helped bring up the production value of the film. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, I thought it was fabulous. And at the end, I was left wondering, is the fact that it's an Australian production going to hinder you for best foreign feature film at the Oscars? Thank you. <laughs> God, well... That, that would be a complete dream, but who knows? Firstly, it has to be selected by Australia as its official entry, so we'll see from there. Who knows? It'd be very nice. <laughs> okay. Any questions? Love, love the film, thank you. But what's next? <laughs> look, look, we're writing away at the moment in the little few minutes that are left in every day, but um, look, I won't say what they are, but they, they are human rights stories again but will be I promise hugely entertaining and fun and, and emotional and but um, I won't say too much about them because at this stage I don't know I sort of tend to keep quite private about that and until it's worth talking to people about <laughs> but we are we are writing there will be there will be another film yeah, yeah. Where, where can, will it be set? I, I can say our next film is a love story within a context of a legacy of war that's a theme that Having experienced that, we just can't leave it. So we can say that. <laughs> can't say any more than that right now. <laughs> Hi, Kim. Just a question about directing the children, especially with translation difficulties. Could you, could you talk about that process, please? Well, I think, you know, one of the main things of working with, um, with Luknam and, and Guy was that I, I had to discover who they were as people. So the first thing was I, I didn't give them the whole script to learn before rehearsals. I didn't want to kind of fill their mind with just trying to come and regurgitate lines. And really when we met them, uh, Sylvia gave us you know, a good rehearsal period and Pauline and myself were tied at the hip and we started to really, and, and also Alice was working a lot with us as well, and really the beginning of that process was about trust. So my first really what I wanted to do was that we could all trust each other and we did a lot of kind of we used music we used games we used trust exercises and we started to really learn all about each other and and then I, I guess also in terms of the scene work I often just created situations before putting in the dialogue 
and would try and make situations where these two people could give themselves and really start to react with each other. And when I was starting to feel that there was something happening, I then started to drop in dialogue. And, um, and again, if the dialogue wasn't ringing true or wasn't feeling quite right, we'd rethink about you know, what they could say or do improvisations and then I'd go away and write again. So it was a sort of a long process of, of just um, of growing and trying to find truth in, in these moments. But having said that, you know, like we were, we had a budget, we had a time schedule, so, and, you, and with a story you've got a bunch of dramatic beats which you have to hit. And you don't get those dramatic beats, then you're not going to end up with a story that, that has sort of an emotional core and a drive through it. So, at the end of all that, we started to have to kind of tighten everything and really try and hit those emotional beats. But again, even with those emotional beats, sometimes I wouldn't come at it with the dialogue at all. I'd come at it just in terms of we'd use music and emotional memory and try and start to draw on people's experiences. And, and when we were starting to actually find the moment there, then we'd start to put it into the context of the story. Um, but, you know, it's a difficult thing when you've got a schedule to keep the openness, to keep the sense of play going. Can I ask the, the star, Key, can I ask you a question, please? Maybe your mum could translate. What, what was the best thing and the worst thing about making the film? Um, the most difficult thing was when I had to cry. And, uh, and the best thing about making a film? The best thing about uh, acting in this movie is that now I know I can do it. So you want to be an actor? Yes. Well, you did very well. So very thank well. you very much. Congratulations. And Pauline, Pauline, would you tell Guy that he could be an actor, a writer, a producer, or a director, whatever he, f he wants to do, I think he'd be able to do it if he puts his mind to it. I see you're collecting money, um, or money is being collected for the education of the two children. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Ki and Luk Nam, if you think their characters of Arlo and Kia in the movie are amazing, they're even more incredible people in real life. Um, incredibly focused. You saw them on, some of you would have seen them on the red carpet last night. They're just so professional and um, they embraced everything on this film with complete gusto. And um, so the film's set up an education fund um, to support the education of the two kids till the end of high school. So that's a commitment for the next eight or nine years for the kids. So we'll be doing that, you know, we'll have fundraising screenings, anybody who'd like to contribute to that education fund. Um, how can we do that? Email me. <laughs> it's going through Child Fund Australia here? On, on the, actually we'll put it on the, the Rocket website, yeah. So um, it, the website, it's therocket-movie.com 
And um, so we're doing that in association with Child Fund, who's an international children's welfare group, and they operate in Australia and Laos and in Thailand, where Key lives. And uh, so people can donate to that to help these amazing kids, you know. That's it. Yeah, we were handing flyers out last night at the cinema, but if you haven't got one of those, we'll get the details on the website. What kind of schooling will they get in their areas? What kind of schooling will they get? Um, well, the, the, the schools in Laos and Thailand are great schools, so we'll be contributing to their, yeah, their everyday schooling. But also Luknam has um, recently started at um, Ventian English College. We asked Luknam what she wanted to do. We want to very much tailor the education to who they are and what they want. And Luknam's just started doing English lessons three nights a week, which was what she wanted to do. Um, and with Guy, I think he's very keen to, you know, to continue his acting and, um, you know, we're uh, hoping to set up private tuition that can work in with his acting work. Uh, so that's the sort of thing that will and be done. And also looking for, I mean, I imagine with someone like Guy, if he wants to do it, where are you, Guy? But if he would like to, something like a Steiner situation would suit him really well. Yeah. Where he can, there's music, there's drama, he can be doing all the things he loves and he's very good at while getting an education in, in a kind of creative environment. So, you know, obviously it's got to be right for them in the end what they want to do. But, um, yeah, again, that'll happen through probably Child Fund or another organisation in Thailand. He just had to dock up to fill up in his format to, uh, to go to NIDA. Uh, congratulations, it's a wonderful film to, to you all. Um, you were mentioning story, Kim, and your experience with documentary and how that helped you with story. Uh, do you see um, storytelling, the essence of storytelling, as the same between documentary and feature films? Oh, how do you uh, look, ultimately, I think it probably is, you know, but I guess with documentary, a story will take its own direction, and sometimes that is wonderful and it's exciting, and other times it's so disappointing, you know, to be honest, and you think our story is being driven this way and you've got the right character, and then off that way, there's a better character, and you suddenly realise all of this was actually wasted time and I need to go in that direction, or can I pull the two stories together? But you're constantly thinking... But ultimately, I think, you know, documentary or drama, trying to learn, the, you know, what classical narrative is and does and how it's evolving in terms of, of, of you know, global psyche and trying to follow that uh, is really important in either form. Um, it just means that you're trying to find ways that you're trying to be up to date on how you connect with people. Um, but look, there is a lot of overlapping that happens, I think. I'm a teacher and I was just concerned with the education of the two children. Are you looking to help education within Laos um, on a broader spectrum? Because education is a thing that was destroyed and um, I know that resources within schools is um, very limited and whether there's a possibility for a broader spectrum to help. Absolutely. Well, all us, the children. Um, obviously, that's a massive job, taking on improving 
the education of the entire country. But what we are sure the rocket will be used for is to be used by a lot of NGOs, as our film Bomb Harvest was. Um, it's used, been used by the Red Cross, it's been used by the United Nations, um, the COPE Centre, Mines Advisory Group. So we're hoping to set these things up with other NGOs um, with the rocket so that they can use the film for fundraising screenings um, and to raise awareness of the issues in the film. So, I mean, for us, our small part of it is, you know, to, to help Key and look numb. And, but we hope in a broader context the film and, will and As Sylvia said, out. to offer the film to organisations to, you know, and if you, if you want to do something with Child Fund and set up a screening after the cinema release, that'd be gorgeous. Mm. And the money can go to Child Fund with a focus on a particular school in Laos or in Thailand. Um, so that's what it's going to be there for, you know, it's, it, it should have a long life, this film, and hopefully be used in, in those sorts of ways. Mm. Uh, and it, it's interesting, there are a lot of international organisations who do amazing work um, and build schools and set up schools, but they also need, that needs to be an ongoing program, because there are a lot of terrific programs that organise for a school to be built, but then five years after, we've seen many schools around the place that are closed because the funding's run out, so there's no money for the teachers. So there's a school there, but no students and no teachers. So it's, it's a very broad and complex thing. But the, but the bottom line is as well, I mean, for Sylvia and I, you know, our average yearly wage is probably the same as a shop assistant. So we need to, to get other people to take these, these, you know, to use the product and go, and they should go and try and and raise funds um, for the film. And for us, you know, we need to make another film, and which can be used again in the same way. That's, that's really us using our skills well. A slightly different subject. At the, towards the climax of the film, when the rockets are taking off, there's a fellow who seems to get blown off the top of the rocket. Yeah. And for, what happened to him? Okay. <laughs> well, it's okay. It's okay. This is, this is the beauty of what you can do these days. When basically, I went to the Rocket Festival with the DOP and Andrew Comis, and we filmed a real Rocket Festival. And at that Rocket Festival, all sorts of things happened. That didn't happen. And it would, I, don't, I don't think I could... If, even if we filmed that, I don't think I could put it in a film. It's too awful. So what we did was we kind of using a lot of VFX there, whereas uh, we might have a rocket up there without a human being up there. You blow up the rocket, you then put a person up there and a very big mat for them to fall onto and you get them to fall backwards. You put yeah. And he was in. a professional stuntman from yeah. Thailand who yeah. did that. We had a terrific, uh, Air Optus find a terrific team of you know, professional stunt people, safety officers. So basically with something like that, you're, you, you, you're putting VFX and a stuntman together and then you put the two images together. So really, you know, we, we couldn't get anyone hurt during this shoot and so... Um, we had to, to use things like VFX to pull those things off. Mm. Caitlin Yeo did the score. Just asked and about the music. It, and is Caitlin here, by the way? There she is. Hi, Caitlin. And Caitlin is an extraordinary person, very passionate, a complete professional. And we've, I've worked with Caitlin now on three films. And, you know, we wrestle away and all sorts of stuff happens and we try and come up with, with Sylvia, we try and come up with ideas that that are totally ambitious and ridiculous and, and go for it. But Caitlin um, 
um, does a, a beautiful job. She's very brave, very passionate, and she sources incredible musicians and uh, who she's got very good relationships with. So there's a lot of trust in the way she works with people. And if that's there and they believe in Caitlin, they give all. And it's there in the music. It's there in every tone. There's, there's, there's a lot of emotion in, in every second of the music. So, uh, and look, we made the decision to go for a, a more classical score. There are elements of, of Lao instrumentation in there, but um, we decided on a more classical score because we didn't want the film... We, we thought this is an international film. It's dealing with international issues. It's, it's about a family. Could be any family, really. And we wanted to broaden it to a wider audience. So that's what we went for. But um, yeah, a great experience working with Caitlin again. Thank you, Caitlin. <laughs> Thank you, Caitlin. <laughs> I'm, sh I'm sure you'll all agree that it's not only been a lovely film to watch at the festival, it's been a real highlight for me, as it's probably been for you as well. Uh, we wish uh, Kim and Sylvia all the best in the festival competition and all the best with the festival release and thank them and also their wonderful cast and crew who are here with us today. Thank you.